Welcome to Vineyard Hopkinton. As we follow Jesus together, we experience the Holy Spirit, create a multicultural community, and pursue kingdom of God justice. Well, friends, happy January. We still got our Christmas decoration up, but it is 2023, and we are in the book of Genesis together. Um, we're looking at one of the founding families of Scripture, but also kind of, of like civilization and humanity. It's one of the great stories of many cultures, obviously Jewish, uh, first and foremost, Christian, uh, Muslim. Over half the world has the story of Abraham as part of its foundations. It's a story written not just in paper or scrolls, but in personalities, in people, in legacies and families, in young and old bodies, in relationships, in love and tears, sin and accomplishments. The story of Abraham is really one of the great stories of the earth. And our story starts out uh, in chapter 17, before what we're going to read today, when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Serve me faithfully and live a blameless life. I will make a covenant with you by which I will guarantee you countless descendants. In the life of Abraham, we get to see big promises and the big picture. We get to see in someone else's life worked out the big promises of God over a longer time frame. These guys had a little bit longer to play with than we do. We get to see it worked out in graphic color and detail. The big picture of following God. You know, so often we look at snapshots of our life. We look at just one little part and it can look a little bit better than the whole picture. You know, my career is going good. This is going well. Or maybe if we step back and really look at the big picture, it looks a little bit better than the individual parts. You know, we see faithfulness. We see God working. But it is really good to step back and look at the whole big picture. And that's what we get to see. Genesis helps us look at the long-term of our life, decades of faithfulness or unfaithfulness, how that plays out. And it helps us to look outward, broaden the scope, broaden the, the vision of our lives. I think that one of the real lessons overall in Genesis that we learn is that obedience to God is a blessing, not a burden. And sometimes we get that a little twist and we can think, oh, you know, I got to do this because, you know, it's the right thing. And, you know, I'll just do this tough thing. And, oh, it's, it's hard. It's a sacrifice. Obedience is way better than disobedience. Obedience helps us. It does not hinder us. It's not a hard burden that we have to carry. Like, oh, look at me doing the right thing. It's so tough all the time. It helps us. It doesn't hinder us. And if in reality, there are ways where it goes against our natural inclinations. It's not a sacrifice. It's an investment. Doing things God's way does not deprive us of normalcy or, or happiness. It gifts us with greater things than temporary pleasures. And where and time spent with, in prayer, for example, instead of in entertainment, that gifts us with peace and perspective. Tithing is not a subtraction from our lives. Giving money to, to God is an addition to our lives. It enriches us. 
sexual integrity, modesty, controlling our thought lives, these make our relationships better. They don't hinder us. Holiness is actually really joy-filled. Following God's commandments helps us in every way. And that's the big view that we get to see worked out in the lives of some of these guys and Abraham in particular today. One theologian says that we see in uh, the life of Abraham and his family, the nations, um, that they're blessing, that they bless the earth only to the extent that they submit themselves to God's law. Friends, I know that we are called to bless those around us, to be a community that blesses the larger community. And we do that when we follow God in joy-filled obedience. So let's pray together as we dig into scripture today. Jesus, we thank you for what you want to show us today. And that you want to, to speak to us and teach us, not just to correct us or straighten us out because we can't get it together by ourselves, but because you want to show us things as your friends, as your beloved children. You want to draw us in and speak to us. Tell us the deep things of God to bless us, to bless our hearts, to bless our lives. So this morning, Jesus, we open our our hearts to you. We soften to your presence, to your way. We open our minds to you. More than just the to-do lists, our busyness, more than just our ideas, the news, what's on the internet. We open our minds to the higher things of God. We open our lives to you today, Jesus. We say, would you come guide, direct, and work in us for our greater good and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Um, So we are in the book of Genesis. If you are reading along in your own Bible, it is not hard to find. It is the first book. Um, Genesis was compiled by Moses, some different sources that he put together, um, the early history um, of God's working. Um, It is a history, but it's not quite a like A, then B, then C history of all the details. It's got a point, and the point is... God's creation, not just of of the world starting the the forces of creation in motion, but of people, the family of God, blessing them to be a blessing to others, the family of faith. So we're in chapter 18. The Lord appeared again to Abram near the oak grove belonging to Mamre. One day Abram was sitting at the entrance to his tent during the hottest part of the day. He looked up and noticed three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he ran to meet them and welcomed them, bowing low to the ground. Now, who exactly are these guys? There's been, you know, lots of questions. Their interaction is extraordinary. Um, if we look at the first line, it says, again, that's referencing the, the previous chapter where the Lord himself appeared to Abraham once before, about a year before. So most folks, most biblical scholars say one of them, the main character is God. It's an unusual appearance and two angels. My Lord, he said, if it pleases you, stop here for a while. Rest in the shade of this tree 
while water is brought to wash your feet. And since you've honored your servant with this visit, let me prepare some food to refresh you, uh, to refresh you before you continue on your journey. All right, they said, do as you have said. So Abram ran back to the tent and said to Sarah, hurry, get three large measures of your best flour, knead it into dough, and bake some bread. I think Sarah knows how to bake bread better than he does, but he's really intent that this would be good bread. Then Abraham ran out to the herd and chose a tender calf and gave it to his servant, who quickly prepared it. When the food was ready, Abraham took some yogurt and milk and the roasted meat, and he served it to the men. You know, we are told a lot about what these guys ate. Nothing about what they looked like. I would be very interested to know what they looked like. A lot about what they ate. Because Abram is being so hospitable and generous and really just laying out his best. When it said in, in back in the initial call that he was called to be blameless and live a holy life, this is him being blameless, extending hospitality. As they ate, Abraham waited on them in the shade of the trees. Where is Sarah, your wife? The visitors asked. Now, I'm pretty sure they knew where Sarah was. As Abraham's like, honey, hey, do this for the bread. I'm pretty sure she's the one in the tent you keep talking to. And they've been there from the wheat becoming flour, becoming dough, becoming bread. They know where she's at. They want to draw her out and engage her, make her part of the conversation. She's inside the tent, Abraham replied. Then one of them said, I will return to you about this time next year, and your wife, Sarah, will have a son. Sarah was listening to this conversation from the tent. Abraham and Sarah were both very old by this time, and Sarah was long past the age of having children. Uh, in the original Hebrew, um, long past the time of having her monthly blood, though, Honestly, if you haven't had a kid at age 20 and age 30, menopause is really not your only problem. So she laughed silently and said to herself, How could a worn-out woman like me enjoy such pleasure, especially when my master, my husband, is also so old? Then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh? Why did she say, can an old woman like me have a baby? Guys, pro tip, do not talk bad about yourself in God's hearing. Why did she say that? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return about this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she denied it, saying, I didn't laugh. But the Lord said, no, no. You did laugh. Moving forward to chapter 21. The Lord kept his word and did for Sarah exactly what he had promised. She became pregnant and she gave birth to a son for Abraham in his old age. This happened just at the time God had said it would. And Abraham named their son Isaac. Eight days after Isaac was born, Abraham circumcised him as God had commanded. Abraham was a hundred years old when Isaac was born. And Sarah declared, God has brought me laughter. All who hear about this will laugh with me. 
For who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse a baby? Yet I have given Abraham a son in his old age. Amen. Sarah has a child. God's promise to make their descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky is coming true. She herself now stands with many other great women of Scripture whose uh, presumed physical weakness and infertility is made great in God's strength. Isaiah 54 says, Sing, barren woman, from your emptiness will break will come forth more than that of the married woman. Enlarge the place of the tent. Stretch out to the left, to the right. Expand. You will make empty cities inhabited. All the promises of God are coming true to Sarah in this time, in this place. Because God keeps his promises. God keeps his promises. And granted, this is a big promise. This is a God visits you twice in person and tells you audibly and it has special purposes in the salvation history of the world. Big promise. But in our own slightly more typical impossibilities, God keeps his promises. There's no question about that. The question is whether we believe. Guys, do you notice that once this encounter is all set up, once the food is laid out, once the meal is prepared, once they've sat down and everything's kind of settled, all the tension here is over their faith response. Once everything's laid out, then it's big news and that they laughed and, and doubt what's God going to say about that. All of the conflict, all of the rub, all of the drama is over their faith response. Once that settled, the rest is a given. The baby is born. They continue in faith with naming him Isaac. You know, he who laughs or he who rejoices in obedience. They circumcise him. You know, in in faith they praise the Lord. They they respond joyfully. The tension is all over the faith response. Once that settled, then you carry on. Then you carry on, and God does all the hard work. You know, I think about my own life. Uh, the worst year of my life, maybe not the worst, you know, the, um, the most difficult, maybe the most fruitful in the end, one of the years with more tension in my life. I was working at a very underserved school in Youngstown, Ohio. Um, my teaching schedule was, it was just, the, the school was, was tough. It was a very tough uh, teaching assignment. Um, I was making not that much money. I was making low money, high work hours, uh, working also part-time for a church. I was, it was just a, a tough year. I would get Taco Bell drive through at 7.30 on my way home from work, and it, was, it just, I did not feel good. But really, the real problem was that I was struggling with my faith response to a calling from God. And I was trying to figure out what I would do with my faith, call, with my calling from God. Because I knew I had a calling for ministry, but then I also sort of didn't want to be in ministry as a single woman. And I was, when I decided that I would follow the call of the Lord, the next year I actually made less money and had just as much work. But my life was so much better. 
once my faith response was settled, once I decided that I would follow God's calling, I did make less money, unbelievably, really, uh, and I had just as much work. But my life was so, so much better. When I had settled, when I had peace, when I had certainty and direction. Once your faith response is settled, the rest is smooth sailing and God takes care of it. You know, Sarah and Abraham, I think they had become used to how their life was. As many of us become used to how our life is, they had become accustomed to barrenness. It was normal. And God's response was so great that instead of saying, wow, this is the best news ever, I'm so happy, they responded with doubt. If in the face of of great promises from God, great possibilities or potential from God, we respond with doubt instead of with a, wow, wouldn't that be great? Ooh, I wonder God could do it. That means that we have gotten used to barrenness. That means we've become accustomed to a kind of empty, lacking, faith-filled life. They responded with doubt, not with joy, because they were used to barrenness. God's word of promise is outside of human reasoning. God calls us to things outside of our human capacity. If we are living reasonable lives, if we are living normal lives, we don't need God's promises. If our our goal is to get a nice job and a nice house, we don't need God. We just need a good job. But if we have a Genesis 12 calling like Abraham did to expand in a legacy of faith and purpose far beyond what he is capable of doing, well, then then we cannot move an inch without God's empowering. But the good news is, if it's what God wants, then God makes it happen. If we are living for God's calling, then we are not trapped in barrenness. God's promise will fulfill God's purpose. Do we know what our God calling is? Beyond what we are capable of. Are we trusting him that he will make it happen? Thousands of years later in what is also an extremely unlikely birth again, again an angel appeared to a woman not in a situation to have babies and said, you'll conceive You'll give birth to a son. You'll name him Jesus. She said, how can this happen? I don't know how this works. Uh, It seems impossible. The angel replied, God does it. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy, the son of the Most High God. Has some cooperation. Elizabeth is a similar, you know, God promised situation. For the word of God will never fail. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. I'm the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And that is the position of people living for the impossible. We say, I'm the Lord's servant, not my own servant. I'm the Lord's servant. Would everything you have said about me come true? For no word from the Lord will ever fail. Faith, if we are following God's purposes and God's promises, not our own desires, not our own wants, 
faith bridges the impossible. Faith takes us from what we are capable of into what God is capable of. 1 Corinthians 13 says, Now I see everything imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. I'm trying to make it out, but I don't quite. But later, then, we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete. But then I will know everything completely, just as God now knows me completely. Three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. I think Abraham and Sarah would really resonate with this. Abraham's like, I was 99 years old when God appeared to me, told me I'd have a baby. I fell face down and, and worshipped him. He also did laugh. He said, ha ha, I don't think that's going to happen as, as he worshipped um, in response to God telling him he would father a, a, a child, he circumcised himself. Then, you know, a year later, three visitors show up and give them the same promise. Again, he goes, he deals with Sodom and Gomorrah. That was a whole big issue. Uh, then later, uh, the drama with Abimelech. Then Sarah gives birth to Isaac. Abraham, his head is spinning. They have had a lot happen in one year. And I just imagine them saying, biblical heroes of the faith as they are. There is so much we do not know. There is so much we did not understand. Everything was just grasping onto God's word, one step of faith at a time. But faith, hope, and love never failed them. Faith, hope, and love never failed them. If your head is spinning, you're in good company. Faith does not mean you have everything figured out. It just means that you trust God in the process. One of my uh, professors in seminary, he said that uh, if you don't know what to preach on, you can always just preach on faith, hope, and love. Just default to that. You can't go wrong with that. So that's what I'm doing. Obviously, I didn't know what to preach on, so I defaulted. Um, but I'm beginning to see that faith, hope, and love is your basic attitude for everyday life, for daily living. When I go into meetings now, I'm trying to do a little faith, hope, and love check. If I go into a situation, a room, faith. God is in control. He's in charge of this time, this place, this situation. He's the biggest person in the room. I'm responsible to him. Hope. Do I believe that good things can come out of this? If it's a tough marriage situation, if it's mental health, if it's, you know, a real problem, do I believe that good can come out of this? I love, am I going and truly like seeing the best in the other people, valuing, the, holding them in just as high as, esteem as myself? Am I going in with real love? And if I'm not going into that situation with faith, that I'm not the biggest person in here with hope and with love. Like I should, I should spend another minute in my car. I should just, you know, lock myself in the office for a minute, pray, and go in, having completed my faith, hope, and love check. I think I should probably do that before I exit my bedroom in the morning, before I talk to my children. 
faith says, I'm not the most important person in this situation. God is. And we think that we're kind of the most important people in the situation, especially when it pertains to me, my job, my decision. You know, I am not the most important person in this situation. God is. He's the one in control. He's the one with say. My opinion is not the most important opinion in this situation. I have lots of opinions. I have lots of thoughts in my head. God's opinion is the most important opinion in this situation. What does God want? What's he doing already? What, what, what's he doing? God is always at work. My limitations are not the most important thing in this situation. Sarah's limitations were pretty compelling. It's not about me. It's about God. You know, um, I think about so many of our interactions. There's a um, kind of pictorial, um, if you want to go to the next slide, Tracy, um, this pictorial way of thinking about our, our problems in life between other people. Um, so often we think that our conflicts are with you, you know? And we want to get into a situation where we say, actually, it's you and me together against this problem. We'll work out this problem together. My problem is not with how you unload the dishwasher. It's you and me together, and then let's think of a better way to unload the dishwasher. My problem is not that you keep blowing me off at school and are a bad friend. My, let's get you and me together, and then we'll figure out better ways to, you know, uh, uh, do life together. I think this is really good. This is good, right? We agree? You know? I think the even better way to see it from a faith perspective Love for each other, hope for solving the problem, and in all things, God is the biggest person in the room. It's what God wants. We are secondary. I am secondary to God. Our problems are certainly secondary to God. God is in control. He's the biggest one in the situation. And then this should lead us to faith. Faith sees, or hope. Hope sees that God is working. And man, if God is working, that is a great sign for my futures. We, we expect good things. We anticipate good things. If God is working this morning, I can't wait to see what this afternoon brings. If God is working today, that is a good sign for tomorrow. We have expectancy and hope for good things because God is in control, because God is working. I was reading one uh, Christian pastor, Chris Vallotton, and he says, if you have a transformed mind, you expect good things to happen. So he said, for example, if your spouse comes home late from work, you don't think, oh no, they probably got in a car accident. You think, hmm, maybe their boss kept them late at work to give them a promotion. For many of us, this is laughable. Honestly, it is. Our mind automatically goes to the worst thing. When my daughter is late for pickup after school, you know, I'm sitting in my car waiting for her, I do not always think, I bet her teachers held her late at school to give her a special academic honor. But I also should not think, 
oh my goodness, I bet such and such is happening. And I say, maybe she's having a great conversation with friends. Maybe she's encouraging a class. You know, they're so, a transformed mind does not go to the worst possibilities because God is in control. God's working. They are a multitude of good possibilities opening up in God's providence and provision. I think about this with my kids. Um, sometimes my husband and I will, you know, have a little sidebar for some private conversation. And the kids will come in. We've got this sliding glass door that kind of divides the house in half. And they'll come in. What you talking about? Stuff. And they used to always say, is it about me? Am I in trouble? I don't know. Should you be in trouble? Um... But uh, a, a couple months ago, um, my youngest came in, slides her up. What you talking about? Stuff. Are you planning a surprise for me? <laughs> no, we were not. But I like that attitude. That's a good attitude. You have loving parents. You never know what good things might happen. Friends, you have loving heavenly parents. You never know what good things might happen. And lastly, love. Care and affection for God, myself, others. I sort of feel like before I open my mouth, I should be able to feel, be able to like see the other person as made in the image of God. C.S. Lewis says that you will never meet someone who is not made in the image of God. And it's true. You can live many, many long years. You will never meet anyone who is not made in the image of God with amazing purpose and, and, and potential for reflecting incredible goodness and beauty. We want to presume the best in others, presume positive intent. 99% of people you meet wish you no harm. We want to love and care for others well. Not bearing a burden uh, uh, of distrust or, or malice, but in the light and the freeness of love for each other, ourselves, and God. I think Abraham and Sarah would concur that faith, hope, and love will never fail us. Hebrews 11 says, It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. And even when he reached the land God promised him, he lived there by faith, like he was a foreigner, just living in tents. Abraham never made like his big final home. He never, you know, settled in, said, you know, check mark, I've seceded. He was always changing, always journeying. And so did Isaac and Jacob, who inherited the same promise. Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. It was by faith that even Sarah was able to have a child, though she was barren and was too old. She believed that God would keep his promise. And so a whole nation came from this man who was as good as dead, a nation with so many people that like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore, there's no way to count them all. 
all these people still died still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised. They saw it from a distance and welcomed it. They agreed they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. Obviously, people who say such things are looking forward to a country they can call their own. If they had longed for the country they came from, they could have gone back. You can go back. You can go back today. But it'd be a shame. They were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Friends, God has prepared good things for us in 2023. God purposes, God promises, God's stories. We receive it by faith. Let's stand. Let's receive by faith today. God, in the midst of everything that we have going on, you are truly the one who matters. It is your word that matters. It is your will that sets our course. It is your heart that keeps the world spinning. Thank you, Jesus, that you are in control and you are in charge. By faith we receive, and in hope we look forward to good things, to your purposes and your plans being manifest in our lives. Make our lives soft clay, flexible and bendable to your will. That we are willing to change. We are servants of your purposes and your plans. And we receive by faith. In Jesus' name. Amen. Mm-hmm.